our own data said we were saving for the musculoskeletal care program about 30%. And it's, then, just so, it's just so large when you apply that to the country, right? Oh, it's, it's 30% so is like huge. Yeah. But we met recently with uh, uh, an insurer that we had been working yeah. with or they were sending patients to us. And they told us that, in fact, we were wrong, that we were saving them 80% on their costs that's, yeah, for that's, musculoskeletal care. I mean, this is like people are lighting tens of billions of dollars on fire all around the country. Exactly. And they literally, we're literally taking these tax dollars and we're like piles of $100 bills just lighting on fire every day constantly. Yeah. Clay Johnson is a renowned academic neurologist. He helped start the UT Dell Medical School and made amazing breakthroughs. He proved you could spend 30%, 40% less on patients and yet have better results for them. You know, of course, the hospitals don't want to get paid less. The insurance companies don't like it with less money flowing through the system. So this was impossible to scale, or so it was said. Now, after having built one of the most important new medical schools, he's creating a new startup and he's taking his insights to scale them to millions of Americans. Let's find out from Clay Johnson how he's going to change healthcare in the U.S. Really excited to have Dr. Clay Johnston here with us today. Clay, thanks for joining. Oh, my pleasure, Joe. Great to be here. Clay, you, you're the former dean of the University of Texas Dell Medical School. Uh, you're the co-founder and chief medical officer of Harbor Health. We first met right when I first came to Texas. Michael Dell thought there were some people I needed to meet and brought you as the person who's, who's the, who's the head of medical center. I, I think that was cool. We had Elon Musk and others at this dinner and we got to know each other. That was a great dinner. Yeah. And, and we ended up, we ended up working together. You started Harbor Health, which was, a lot of us are kind of supporting you on. But let's start with your background. You studied medicine at, at Harvard. You got your PhD at, was it UC Berkeley? Yep. Berkeley. And you became an academic neurologist? Yeah. What attracted you to that? Well, neurology, because, uh, you know, just the fascination of being able to study the brain and also just we know so little about it. And and these are people in real need. So that part was really interesting to me. And and then the uh, epidemiology is what I trained for at, at Berkeley. And there the interest was in data. You know, how you use yeah. data to really understand illness better and and, uh, and you know, move the field forward. There's been a lot of controversy around that field in the last few years. It sure has, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a useful skill to have for the past few years. Have you waded into that at all? Are you, are you taking out your old skills and, and putting opinions out there the last couple well, of years? Well, you know, I have just... I When I was still the dean... It ended up being a big part of my job. So, you know, just thinking about how the city should respond. I mean, particularly early on, we had no idea how to how to respond. And, you know, working with the with the mayor and the and the state to some extent on on what the response should be. I mean, we spent hours and hours on the phone, you know, with the leaders of the hospital systems trying to to play that out. So yes, I was glad I I, I want to go too deep on that today, but I have to ask you. Yeah. Uh, like how much was there a push to self-censor on certain things or to be very careful about, okay, this is what I believe, but it's going to offend people. Like how much does that come into play with those types of issues in epidemiology? Well, this? I would say, um, that's a great question, Joe. I mean, I would say it's easy to stick with the evidence and that's where, you know, you can always be pretty comfortable, but even in stating the evidence, it became such a politicized issue, particularly in Austin, where you had a city that was taking different positions than the state around it and the mm-hmm. state government of course is in Austin yeah. that, that was incredibly 
hard to navigate. So the easiest way is just always go back. What does the evidence say? What's going to be best for people? First principles as much as possible, but be very careful how you're describing it. So it's not to do the tripwires for people. Exactly. I mean, the, the solution should be pragmatic. There should be a path forward through the ideologies. You don't always know where that path is, but it, it, you know, for me, trying to stick with that as best as possible. So in 2014, you became the first dean of Dell Medical School. You were intent on reforming the curriculum. You want to change how doctors are trained. Why? Like Is traditional medical school broken? What, what needed to be fixed? Yeah. So um, it's more, it goes back to the health system. So my realizations at, at UCSF, because I was in uh, um, San Francisco before, were that, uh, that we were innovating much too slowly in healthcare and that we weren't necessarily focused on innovations in the right areas that mattered the most for health. Um, in, in, so we weren't prioritizing the things that really mattered. And then even the things that we discovered that were important for health, we weren't integrating into practice. And so the whole system isn't meeting its full potential. And my realization was, okay, you can't take an established organization and really move it forward. It, it, it really does involve training differently, but also setting up healthcare differently. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, being able to start a new med school felt to me like a great opportunity to rethink all those, all those things about training and healthcare delivery and, and, and do it better you know, do it for the next generation. So if we look at healthcare at a high level, costs are rising, productivity is declining. And this is a shocking fact. Most industries by default in a free society, productivity gets better. You learn what lessons work over time. You have competition. The good ideas win. The bad ideas lose. Productivity goes up. I mean, that's the kind of one of the basic rules of, of, of prosperous societies. Productivity goes up. But in healthcare, which is growing part of our economy, productivity is declining. Doctors are burnt out. A lot of patients aren't happy. I think we were on a call with a company earlier today talking about stuff which is doing really well. But I guess other companies, on average, only two-thirds of patients even go to the specialist they're supposed to go to to get the best care. They, they just don't even follow up. Like, what's going on? Why, why is it so broken? Uh, boy, that's a complicated I know, question. There's a lot. There's a lot but, like, yeah. but what are some of the principles when you went to be a dean of Dell Medical School? Were there a few principles? You're like, we're going to train to look at this and this and this. Yeah, yeah. So... For sure. So one is that, you know, everybody's doing the job as it's defined for them. So for a doctor, it's, you know, it's usually responding to illness in a visit in the hospital or in a clinic. Mm. But the reality is that's a tiny fraction of of where health actually happens. Most of it's happening outside of hospitals and clinics. They're waiting until it's already broken and then they're trying to treat it. Exactly. And then they're coming in much later. And then generally the hospital and the doctor sign off when they've written that prescription and sent someone out. But, you know, just as you said, only two thirds of people actually fill the referral. Only, Only half of people are taking their prescription as prescribed three months after that prescription was written. Only half people half of people wow and there's nothing in our system that says that the system itself is responsible for that person taking understanding why they should take it making sure they can afford it know where to get it if they have side effects those are addressed yeah. there's nothing in our system that rewards that behavior there's not like a here's like the next 12 month plan and goals for each of the months and there's exactly on follow-up there's none of that and, and, and it has to do with what's paid for right so unfortunately i mean capitalism as you of all people know, capitalism can do great things, right? But it has to pay for the thing that matters. It's pay for what matters. Otherwise, it's going to miss it. And, and it doesn't. So it pays for the office visit. It pays for me to write that script. It doesn't pay for 
for me to make sure that that person actually has their blood pressure controlled or whatever it is, whatever that script's for. So it's, it, and then even if it did pay for the, I mean, we don't even send signals to individuals Mm -hmm. about how to get good care. They don't know what good care is. Even our systems, our physicians don't know necessarily whether good care is being delivered by people they send folks to. So it, it's a, the system is not built to deliver the outcomes that you're talking about, a productivity. The productivity ought to be around delivering more health, right? right? That should be what we're... But it's not what it's doing. It's productivity around health care. From the provider's perspective, that's more more revenue. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's not necessarily in an individual's best interest. So in terms of like paying for these things in the right ways, like there's obviously this idea of value-based care. You can apply technology, you can apply data in ways we couldn't before. Is some of that starting to work at all or, or why is it not working more? Yeah, that's a great question too. So um, some of it's starting to work better, although you're starting to hear some pushback related to it. I'd say that the advances that we've seen in, in the Medicare Advantage plans those are more favorable for people than they are negative. There are, are some negatives associated with how that's rolled out, but I think it is starting to push things. Give us a little a nuance direction. on that. Like what's an example of a negative versus a positive? For, for um, well, you know, a, um, a negative has to do with, you know, being people being directed or limited from seeing all the docs that they might want to see. You know, got it. Or, so, if, so if you're being paid based on the overall costs, you might you might sometimes push them to lower cost things, which is again a downside of misaligning incentives. Exactly right. And you you haven't clarified. So what the Medicare Advantage program has done is it said I'm going to limit the people you can see because now I own that cost. It's not handing that cost to the individual, right? right? To say, you know, you make a choice about what car you buy all the time, right? Yeah. And you get information about quality. And you feel like you can gauge that information. We don't have those signals yet for individuals. We need to teach people how to navigate the system with some incentives. So it should be mostly covered for them, but they should have options and they should cost a little more or something. Exactly. And they, those, they should understand those signals and they should be based on quality. They, they should have some you know, price differential that reflects quality in the right direction, right? It's the opposite today. So you pay more for bad quality today. Is this a little bit like, you know, when I think of wealth management, finance has always been very intuitive to me. So I always realized you can't just like trust a wealth manager and just do exactly what they say. You, you want a guide, but you also have to be part of the decision. You got to be thinking about it, what's right for yourself. Is that similar where you should someone be your guide in the system, but then you're learning and making your own decisions as well? Is that how it should work? Absolutely. That's how it should work. So, and I would say some of the same things in the financial management um, arena that have caused problems exist in the healthcare arena. So you want to know that your fund manager, you know, what, what kickbacks they're getting for recommending this versus that, yes, right? Investment. Yes. So you need to know that for your physicians as well. Or we need as a system to take those incentives away from the physician. Exactly. When Goldman Sachs says you should invest in this fund, but they're also getting paid a lot of money when you do invest in that fund, you should watch Goldman Sachs more carefully. Exactly. When that physician who owns their MRI scan says you need yeah. an MR, yeah. then there's, there's an incentive there that you may or may not be aware and of. And your MRI there may cost twice as much as the other MRI machine also. Which Often does. Yeah. So, and so those are the, that's an example of a disconnect. And so there, there's no way you want to be able to trust that physician, but their incentives are wrong and you don't know that. So we have to, we want to match the individual's incentives with 
the 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 providers incentives make it be the best solution possible and also that be recognized that when that the, the the global coverage for that person also has incentives mm-hmm. to do the right thing but not to waste resources within that so those things all need to be handled today and you know back to to medicare advantage it's shifting that a little but it's not shifting it so that you necessarily see appropriate financial signals to make mm-hmm. the right decisions for your care it's not as bold and transparent as it could be we need more innovation we need more more iteration on what works there I, I, exactly and and we do you know across the board we need to, to see more innovation in that space. When I look at a sector of the economy, again, the fact that productivity is going down blows my mind. It's very frustrating to me as someone who like wants our civilization to go the right direction. I want everyone to be able to afford healthcare. We, we have hundreds of billions. We have trillions of healthcare debt effectively. Yeah. And we were only going to be able to afford this if productivity goes up. And one of the things I look at is I talk to different doctors and I see a lot of their times not used that efficiently. I think we, <laughs> it's terrible. We were talking about earlier. I think there, you said there's maybe a per capita, just far, far fewer neurosurgeons in the, or, or, or neurologists in it's general. Neurologists, yeah. Neurologists in general in the UK versus here, but, yeah. but the quality is still pretty similar. What are they doing to augment these neurologists, these doctors? My friends and allergists is in a way, by way of example, couldn't there be like a lot more nurses, a lot more frontline workers, and he's only working on the hard cases and he's 10 times more efficient if he's augmented correctly. So it's much cheaper. Like, why is this not happening? Like, why, why don't all the hospitals and other places do this more efficiently? It's not their incentive. It's too hard. Well, certainly it's not their incentive. So, um, but, but it's, it's even worse than what you've described. If you just compare countries. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you talk about productivity, I, what do you mean, first of all, for the output? Is it health? Is it visits? Is it yeah, total cause, cause health Health is what we care about, not just getting people through, obviously. Right. Yeah. And it's also, is it a percentage of GDP that's spent on healthcare? Which is another interesting way to look at it. We are a very wealthy country, so one could could expect that we would pay more. Although, what we pay is substantially more as a percentage of GDP. I mean, as someone as someone who's quite successful, I'm, I'd be happy to pay a lot more for my family to get better results. And I feel like I probably you know the results if, are there. Yeah, exactly. But if you're paying more for something mediocre or the same, that's that's frustrating. Exactly. So if you just so first of all, if you just look at countries that do better in terms of productivity, you know, health per dollar spent. It's every other country almost in the world. So just, you know, just to put that in perspective and most of that, it, a lot of that has to do with where they spend. So they do a better job of spending to keep people healthy before people need to go to see the doctor. And they augment those like even Cuba has better health outcomes than we do. Um, with, with more preventative care. And it's through, yes, prevention. And just as you said, moving some of those functions to to less well-trained folks who can handle them just fine in, in a community. So focus on those upstream factors, not on the healthcare itself. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, our healthcare system, not only do we focus there, we focus really a lot on the kind of end of life and, and you know, Hail Mary kind of it's things. very that, expensive. That yeah. are very expensive and don't have an impact. But then the other key thing is, what we were talking about before in terms of what the incentives are. So if you ask a provider organization right now, most of them are suffering because of, of uh, attrition of uh, practitioners. So they're negative right now, but in general, they're doing well. They say that we are productive, you know, the hospital systems, HCA, all these others, not don't, not this year, but over the last decade, 
you know, they've got nice margins and they're increasing and the revenues are increasing. They're not. So from their perspective, they are producing. And to push back for them, people don't go to Cuba, obviously, for the best care. So even if the numbers are looking good, the very best care we're still ahead on. For 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 specific things, rare things, all of that, yes. For you just being healthier and living a long life, got it. you're better off in Cuba. So it, as, I mean, as an average person. As an average yeah. person. That's right. And that's a really good point, Joe. Because Peter so Seale is back there. Is, like, like a lot of us know people who are helping us, that, that's, friends in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And there's, you know, there's definitely access issues there and equity issues there that exist and are really powerful in the U.S. compared to it's access, Cuba. it's equity. Is it cultural as well, where certain people just don't take the time to try to figure out and make these decisions? Absolutely. And, and also it's the community's engagement and health of themselves and others. All of those things are really important. I mean, obesity mm-hmm. rates here in the U.S. are really sky high, much higher than in most other countries. So, you know, another contributor. But then on the, if you just are the way you're, you know, healthcare system yeah. and yes. how's the healthcare system doing and why is it so not productive? It is by measures of generating margin, but those aren't the measures that in, in what you usually invest in, a greater margin means a more successful product or company. You've made it more efficient. You've uh, made it easier to scale those things. But that's not the case for healthcare because we're paying for more stuff done to people on prices that aren't necessary, aren't necessarily rational compared to the impact of that, Got as it. opposed to paying for more health. If we were then the capitalism could actually be more effective. That's a great point. Like if we, if we actually, like if you're manufacturing and selling widgets, you could manufacture more widgets, pay for more of them. And we're delivering more widgets in the other country. But in this case, the things we're delivering more of aren't necessarily helping health more. That's exactly right. And it's very difficult for people to even figure that out. You know, the story that you're told is, look, at we've got access to all these new cancer therapies. Well, awesome. Well, of course, only half of people, it's not quite that bad. Maybe it's uh, now 60% of people with hypertension, this thing that we've known about forever, right, that costs pennies to treat. Only, you know, 60% of them actually have it adequately treated in the United States. Wow. Which is nutty. That's, that's crazy. You know, so here we're spending all this money on this cancer, you know, end of life stuff in, or new drug for a very rare condition, and we can't get hypertension solved. And, you know, obviously the hypertension has a much bigger impact on health for a population. A lot of these big population things. Yeah, we, we did a, the first AI treatment for diabetic retinopathy with the company, and it took... You know, because you can scan the eye and, and see if the diabetes might make them go blind, which you can then treat very, very affordably with, with AI. And it took us years to get the government to even allow it to be paid for because the ophthalmologists were, were lobbying against yeah. having AI. I mean, it's yeah. a great, that's a great example. And that's the one of the fundamental problems as well is that everyone has been playing this game for a long time. They're doing quite well, right? I mean, if you just look at, from their perspective, the percentage of GDP that they can bring in, I mean, from their perspective, <laughs> they like that's success, percentage of GDP. right? Yeah. And yeah. so they're, each of them is going to defend their piece of that. And they're going to use a lack of transparency, which is inherent in the health system. It's just so complicated, mm. as one defense against 
others that are trying to either disrupt or change the game. Let me give you one more example before we go on about inefficiency. So if you look at a doctor's time, so again, doctors are only a small part of how health is determined, but they're important. You know, more than 50% of that is is spent documenting in order to improve a bill and the outcome of a bill. I mean, the predominant reason for documentation and the reason that we spend so much time on it is to generate a bill. That doesn't benefit a patient at all. Yep. The vast majority of that time. So just it shows you the perversion of the current system. It, maybe AI could be doing that for them later, hopefully, by watching and listening. Absolutely. Or yeah. do we care, right? If you yeah. cared about whether that person's panel of people that they care for is healthier and you paid them based on the health of, of wow. the panel that they cared for... That would change their priorities dramatically. Then the doctor right? be like my wife, though. I'm like, dude, are you eating those burgers? I mean, it could be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I can't promise that it wouldn't be annoying, but at least, well, maybe at you should own is. some of that. You, I know, I know. Right? Well, you're making yeah, bad decisions. Like all right, all right. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to pay a little more for that burger than just the price of the burger. Yes. So, so it seems to me we can go through, and there's just so many different examples of areas where you could be more efficient for better outcomes. You could have the neurologist have the Iron Man suit and be serving five or 10 times as many people. You could be doing it better. And it's really hard to build these though. Cause when you start a new healthcare business, you can't just build something narrow like that. It's not how it works. It's too expensive to acquire customers. Let's talk a little bit about Harbor Health. This is the new company uh, that you, you're, you're co-founding with some amazing people. And, and it's a mission-driven company, I think, to try to make healthcare yep, that's what better we're outcomes, doing. be more efficient. What's the platform you need in order to be able to build a bunch of these things to solve these problems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me go back one and tell you about what happened at the med school. So for the education side, it was awesome. Like the, I, Such a great opportunity to, to really think about the curriculum differently and build that differently. And then we did stand-up care in different areas where we just completely redesigned that care. So think of you know a knee pain somebody who might need a knee replacement surgery or hip pain or back pain or bipolar disorder or hypertension or you name it, we would redesign that going back to basic principles, just as you're saying, like, what should the system look like? How should time be spent? Um, who should be doing what? Where do you use technologies? What outcomes do we measure? What are the most important ones? So we were able to do that and show it wasn't hard to do a hell of a lot better yep. than the current system. Yep. The, the problem, and we could save, you know, we had a meeting, um, our own data said we were saving for the musculoskeletal care program about 30%. And it's, met, just so, it's just so large when you apply that to the country, right? Oh, it's, it's 30% so is like huge. Yeah. But we met recently with uh, uh, an insurer that we had been working yeah. with or they were sending patients to us. And they told us that, in fact, we were wrong, that we were saving them 80% on their costs that's, yeah, for that's, musculoskeletal care. I mean, this is like people are lighting tens of billions of dollars on fire all around the country. Exactly. And they literally, we're literally taking these tax dollars and we're like piles of $100 bills just lighting on fire every day constantly. Yeah. Because, you know, we can point to the patient-reported outcomes, patients yeah. saying, how am I doing? And they're superb. So it is, it is, you know, avoiding things that don't need to be done and focusing on the things that don't reimburse well and fee-for-service that do need to be done. Things like for knee pain, it's, you know, reconditioning and weight loss and yep. diabetes control and smoking totally. cessation, all those things, and PT and, and training. And so those are the things that we focused on. Through that, we could avoid unnecessary surgeries. Surgeries are incredibly expensive. When they needed to be done, we could 
you know, do those beautifully. But when people get paid for surgeries, they do too many of them, basically. Yeah. So the way we changed it is everybody was on salary, right? So we're not encouraging them to do more surgeries that are unnecessary. The problem with that, though, of course, is we became we did not get those revenues into the med school. So, right? it's, not, so it's not as good for the medical school's budget. Exactly. And so what we knew that this was going to be a challenge, but we thought, OK, we build these great products. People will find them and come. Right. And so what we did is we first we went to the insurers and the insurers said, we're not it's too complicated. <laughs> we're, we're not going to we're not going to mess with this. Well, they actually don't have the right incentives either. Right. Because you think that the pay, this is the thing that I didn't understand until until like a few years ago is, is that you think they're payers since they want to pay less. But actually, we've capped the amount of profits they can make. At, it's called, called MLR, where they, where they have to only have, they have to have 80% or higher medical loss ratio. So they have to spend 80% of the dollars they're getting anyway. So, if they, so, so basically their, their margins are set at 20%. So if the overall spend goes down, ultimately they're losing money as payers. Which, that which can is be true. I know it's totally crazy. And then for the commercial, they're not, there's MLR can be wherever it is, but they're basically for most, the employers are paying those bills and they're mm-hmm. just taking a fee as a portion of the total amount spent. So very similar to that. So the, but, but, but in, could, could self-insured employers though, do this better with that, would that so work So then better? that's what, what happened. So we would go to self-insured employers and, and say, we would and say, say, we're saving all this money. Yeah. Look, yeah. come send your people to us. And so yeah. they did that. Unfortunately, and we had some success in doing that. Um, unfortunately though, they couldn't do two things. First of all, they push us back on the insurer because insurer is still there processing the claims. Mm-hmm. And in one case, the insurer did it for them. In the other case, the insurer said it still takes too long. We'll get to it. And they never got they to it. Because they didn't have the incentive to do it for They them. didn't have any incentive to do it other than the, the risk of losing that client. And they decided the risk was well, small. these guys are like they cartels, basically. They're in huge. Some sense. Yeah. And I mean, then, and they, yeah. they're using a different sort of monopolistic type behaviors, you know, market consolidation issues mm-hmm. in order to establish market dominance, just, not quality of. Well, and that market dominance then lets them block things that are like this. They're going to cut the costs. Exactly. Because they're not interested in that market dominance also exists in all the provider organizations as well. Right. So so that was the other issue is we didn't get steerage. We didn't get people coming to it. The person individuals don't have an incentive to get to. They don't know about quality and they don't have an incentive to, to save, save 80% money. percent of the money. That, yeah, because they're already it. over there, whatever deductible and someone know, else paying for it. Somebody else is paying for it. So they're not seeing it. And they there's nothing. Even if you think about our marketplace, it doesn't give you signals or ways to find that out, you know, that this is better, cheaper. There's no marketplace for that. So, so how does Harbor work? What do we build yeah, here yeah. to fix so, it? So we were trying to, so my realization was we, I had set the med school on this trajectory and there's no way it could succeed because we were too far ahead of economics and people had warned me and I knew this was a risk, but it became pretty clear. I, I admire that though. You did the right thing, even though it wasn't the economic thing at the time to show, look, we can cut 80% of the costs, but then you weren't able to make it work economically. That's right. And we, you know, that's the, the med schools continues to provide that great care in all these different areas and has ways to offset the, what would normally be profits in those areas, but it's not sustainable and it'll never scale. The purpose wasn't to do it at the med school. It's to prove that it could work. Exactly. To get everybody doing it. And it's great that even UT has its own budget. Michael Dell is a supporter. So you're able to get people to support, to prove it works. That's right. And write wonderful papers. And then the government supports it. And, and, and teach people 
but but now we have to actually go scale in the real world at bigger scale. If it if it doesn't scale, then it hasn't had the kind of impact that it so, needs so, to have. So, so how do we scale? So it? that's Harbor. Yeah. <laughs> so the so the notion of Harbor is you every one of those incumbents, just as we said, has an an interest in keeping the system exactly the way it is. So in order to really do this, we have to build the system. I mean, it sounds crazy and it is capital intensive, but there are you know, things that we're doing to make it a little more feasible. But you have to build the insurance and the benefit design. And then you have to build the primary care and navigation and population health tools that fit within that model so that the, you're really rethinking how primary care works. So for our listeners, not all of them are from healthcare. Primary care is the first line of care where the doctor is meeting with them, doing their basic annual checkup. Just Annual checkup. First call if you've got flu symptoms. Some kind of symptom you call and then they put your, direct you somewhere. That's right. And so, and then underneath that, we don't need to be all the specialists, right? I mean, that's and getting to crazy investment. And even you, Joe, don't have enough for, for us to build that sort <laughs> We'll of, call Michael. The hospitals. Yeah, 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 we'll call Michael. <laughs> so then the, um, so under there, we can now p- pick the winners, right? So now we are strongly motivated to get high value care. We know where it is. We know how to pay for it differently. And so we can direct to the best folks wherever we are. And you can make sure you follow up in such a way that they actually go and see the people that they need and kind of treat them like a, like a thing where you're following through. We are, we are following them into those specialist arrangements, you know, so we're, we're knowing how that's existing. And in fact, we're bringing the specialist in by having them consult with our clinicians mm-hmm. first, even before the person goes and, to and, see And I'd them. hope as much as possible it's not always a doctor's time. It's people around the doctor who know enough to be able to do that. Exactly. The doctor deals with exceptions. That's right. And that was one of the great things about, you know, like musculoskeletal care is a good example, but there are many others at Del Med that we found over and over again. It doesn't have to be the doctor at the very front, but there are real important questions a doctor needs to be a part of, and we need to get the right information in front of them to make those decisions. So that's especially stuff. And then the same for the hospital level. We're not going to own hospitals, but we need to know if you have condition X, what's the best place to have it treated. And best place, often nicely, quality often aligns with cost in the opposite direction it does in any other market. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in other words, high quality is usually cheaper. Not always, but almost always. It's just, it's just because it's more efficient it, usually. It, yeah. So you think about, um, and it, this isn't always true because academic medical centers often have some extras associated with yeah, them. Yeah, MD, MD is expensive because they have resource they have to pay for. It, it, exactly. In the in training is mm-hmm. expensive and things like that. So it's not perfect. But but just as an example for a single bill, if you, you know, joint replacement surgery, if you go to somebody who has more complications, mm. Complications are expensive. Lengths of stay are longer, and they're doing things that are low quality. So there's a you know when you start to get down to individual providers, then you start to see differences that relate to quality and cost that aren't. Some of them are sort of self-serving things. You know, we'll do more labs because we get a margin on those. But some of them do relate to skills, and some just relate culturally what they feel like the the appropriate thing is to do. And when you got started in Harbor. Yeah, you know, there was one insurance company that was interested in what you're doing at Dell yeah. Medical, right? Which was, I think, Tony Miller and Bind Insurance. And, he, and you guys are now partners now in this. Yeah, yeah. So Tony is a co-founder for the uh, um, Harbor and couldn't do it without him. I mean, he's amazing. So, um, yeah, Tony, actually, we went back five more, seven years. So I met him soon after Dell Med got started. He saw what we were doing on the healthcare delivery side. 
and he was doing something really cool on the insurance side. So basically what they did is they looked at all this healthcare data and they said, who are the high quality and low quality docs, facilities, MRI mm-hmm. scans? When quality was the same, they looked at cost, you know, who could deliver that at a lower cost, same quality, lower cost. Mm-hmm. And then he created a, a insurance that changed the copay. So the copay was zero if you go to the high quality doc or MR or whatever, and it was high if you go to a low quality mm-hmm. um, facility or person. And that worked. It directed people. So it's, that's that financial signal that yep. individuals are starting to have. So, so that's what cool. he saw. So people had to pay more if they want to go to the lower quality one. That's exactly. Great. Yeah. And so, and if, again, if it was more expensive for no reason, they had to pay more. Yep. If it was more expensive, but it was higher quality, then it was it was free. totally makes you know, sense. Yep. And then the so he was doing that. He wasn't changing healthcare. He's just looking at data. He saw what we were doing in healthcare. He could have been the perfect partner for us, right? Yeah. Because he would have totally directed to us and paid us differently. The problem was, Bime was so successful. They never made it to Texas. Basically, they grew so quickly in other states. That um, and ultimately they got sold to United. Got it. So that was actually perfect timing. So that was a year and a half ago, and then Tony uh, did not want to uh, continue in that role, and so uh, he became available. So after satisfying his family's needs to actually see him for a little bit, <laughs> for about six months, he agreed to, to come and join and, and uh, start Harbor. How does Harbor Health work? Tell us about the basics. Yeah, yeah. So we're starting here in Austin. Austin's a great place to start for a variety of reasons. But we have three clinics here in Austin, um, and they're designed differently. That's really team-based care, You know, more use of technologies. And then we'll have a couple mobile clinics as well. Um, and those can, those have, you know, two exam rooms each in a lab. And so those we can move out. It's to. a mobile clinic, that dr- like a truck that drives to your house. What is this? Mm-hmm. It drives, well, it drives to like your, your you know, school parking lot. Got it. And then people and can in the neighborhood can all come out to the, to the, the neighborhood and the school. And we're, um, uh, and then, you know, we're filing our insurance plan has been filed and it's a very different kind of plan. Looks a little more like mine, but, you know, really aligned with the interests of the individual driven by what's right for them, not just trying to block on expenditures, but really push people to doing. So this what's is an right. insurance plan. Who, who's buying the insurance plan? So mostly, well, there's sort of two pieces, um, you know, most for the insurance plan itself, that's mostly employers Uh and it'll be, you know, mostly large employers. And that's, you know, been an emphasis because the, um, because I know these guys. Well, you need to start, with a, them before. You start a scale somewhere. So, so go to and the big employers and, and help they're them. They're motivated. They're interested. They're tired of the problem. Yep. You get more people that way with a, you know, a single entity and they can push carriers, you know, even before we're our own insurance to, to cover us at, at capitation, to pay us that insurance dollar to, to care for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, we are, we do Medicare as well. We're not just Medicare, but we're not not Medicare. So that was our other sort of realization is practices need to be built around this new model. The new model isn't exclusive to you know, older folks who have Medicare versus young folks who are on commercial. So we're doing both, which is hard, but but you just let's, let's go to scale. Yeah. The harder part is building that clinic and that new clinic model with the aligned you know reimbursement and everything. Why not apply that to as many people as possible? And when you start these clinics, you have to hire people before you have a lot of patients. There's a little bit of a spend to get them going, and then you try to fill, fill them in. 
Yeah, that's right. So this is a this is a critical issue for for capital that we need to work on. So starting brand new clinics is expensive because they're not busy and they won't be, right? You got to people got to find out about you, get to know you. With our insurance, we'll speed that up because we'll direct people to our clinics when they sign up for the insurance. Should we do more marketing for them too? <laughs> um, yes, and we can and we have to yeah, we have to do more more well, marketing. What are these clinics? Are they are they out there? Can people go to them now? Is, is oh, it, you yeah. want to do some marketing right now? Yeah. So we're happy to, uh, yes, there are three clinics. There's one in Round Rock. There's one in central, north central Austin on 38th Street. And there's another one down in Kyle. And if you, if you go to these clinics, you, it's your primary care doctor. Or it's, it's, if it's it's something's wrong. It's this whole system of care. So primary care doc, you get a number that you can reach folks on. You know, we can text us. You can email us. So it's a whole system of care. Um, and and yeah, I mean, it, we connect you to the specialists. We get access. We have mental health that's part of it. We have you know PT that's part of it. So we build all of that stuff to make it easy for people to access. And, and will the mobile health clinics is that like do you get your flu shot at them? Like what what kind of no, stuff? No, you is can it? get regular care at the, even even regular care. Yeah, at the yeah. Mobile health. That's and cool. we do at you know virtual care as well. It's really it's like a it's a really good concierge care without any additional cost. Now that, you know, Joe, I know that won't last forever, but it, you know, that's part of how we're, you know, in fee for service, we lose money doing that for mm-hmm. sure. But when we convert people over to either our insurance or to, to another one of these programs where we're taking the insurance dollar, then it pays off because then we're, we're engaging people when they can still be healthy and then we're able to direct them to better decisions in the health system. And, and is this mostly for adults to start? And no, we'll do, we do kids and adults. Just pediatrics. Yeah. And, and, wow. Yeah. And, and is it just, is the brand is Harbor. You search for Harbor Health Online. Harbor and Health you'll find Online and you will find our clinics. Yeah. Yeah. And for the, for, we do not have, we've filed an insurance plan. We do not have one yet. So we cannot market an insurance plan. We are not approved for insurance but, today. But hopefully that's coming, that's coming soon. And there's been a large focus on preventive care, obviously. There's people talking about it. Obviously makes sense. Like, how do you actually get people to change habits and, and engage in preventive care? What, what, are you, what are you doing to work with Yeah, that's that? a great question. So that is extremely difficult. You know, it, it happens you know, societally, you know, in communities, it, it, gen, it will not, it doesn't generally happen with an individual encounter, um, patient and, and physician, but there is a fair amount of evidence that there are ways to improve it. We just don't implement them in care the way they should be. And so we have a, a bigger system. We have coaches, that um, work with people on common issues related to health. So whether it's, you know, mindfulness, anxiety, depression, or whether it's exercise or weight or, um, all, do, do you get them things. to opt in and you check up with them? Like what, 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 what does a person have to agree to, to make this work? Yeah. Yeah. The person, if they don't, we can't do something to someone yeah. in any of these areas. <laughs> right. So they have to be motivated. So we make it as easy for them as possible to be motivated. But the way we do that is we talk about co-creation of health and we we find out what their health priorities are as well mm-hmm. and if those are health priorities then we dive in so we you know introduce and then dive in and help them to Can, solve those do problems do you help them i mean would you help them find someone to run with them like, like, what, like what are the things that actually work for this kind of stuff uh, yeah those are Still great questions so yeah as i would say it's just hard to answer in one sentence so you know like fitbits work for people who buy them but not for people who are given them who need them yeah. 
right? That makes sense. So it's a, the science is actually really interesting and complex. I tried that aura ring, which my wife got for me. And it kept telling me to basically like when I drank or smoked a cigar, uh, you know, that I, my sleep was worse, but like yeah. she was already telling me that. So <laughs> I think this ring was, was working enough. So for me. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I have, I have one uh, too. And yeah, it is interesting. It does. It yeah. has impacted people's, uh, you know, alcohol consumption because they yeah. discover their, that connection with sleep. Yeah. But not, you know, here you bought one of those and you wore it, right? So, yeah, well, she, we bought it together. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She made you. So that's a good example of right the community impact, right? Yeah. Getting, yeah. You know, changing the culture around it, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so it's not so easy. But the reality is there there are lots of innovations out there. It's just that they're not underwritten because people don't care, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that individuals don't care. It's that our system doesn't promote them. Can you change the incentives somehow? Where based on like certain health targets they could this is really tricky or what, what could so you do? there have been yeah. this has been tried in the past and i think it's a really really interesting area um and i think it needs more work i think people do need to take more responsibility for the health and the decisions that they're making mm-hmm. not just in terms of the cost but also in terms of the implications of that for their health downstream it's a really interesting question right because I, I tend to become very i'm very pro-liberty very bottom-up but first of all someone opts into a system that could work second of all if you're making choices in a market that's making you more expensive maybe you should pay for those and then third I don't know. Like right now, our government actually gives like money for people to buy like soda soda drinks. Like over forty percent of Coke is bought apparently through welfare benefits and stuff. And you're like, yeah. maybe maybe we shouldn't. You know, maybe we should be thinking about that a little bit as a society. I, yeah, I think there's a lot of room to do to take away the incentives that we're already providing for bad behaviors before we try to pay people for better behaviors. Yeah, I think those are the kinds of of things that we're going to need to think about because. Because we're caring for each other, whether it's under insurance or through the government, we we need to recognize that, yes, you're free to make that decision. But if it's a decision that impacts me th- financially, well, you should have to you should have if, if there's something you do that leads to something, maybe that should change the cost. We got to be very careful because sometimes we're wrong about super what we tell careful. People. Absolutely. People, yeah. I, mean, I remember in fifth grade, I was looking at the food pyramid and we were studying it and we're supposed to try to eat to it. And I kept getting up late to like eat more bread at night because I wasn't hitting the amount of bread I was supposed to be eating on this. <laughs> darn food pyramid we find out later it was probably horrible for me to be doing yeah, all this shit i was fat yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like sometimes we do get things wrong too. absolutely we yeah. totally get things wrong and also we you know there are reasons like you know when we vilify people who are overweight there it's not just you know a, a, a behavioral issue right it's not just you know, there, there are genetic reasons why oh, it's a combination of a lot of things. Some, sometimes it is because you're being lazy, but sometimes there's something else. It, right? it is mostly something else. And those are the tricky things, right? You don't want to, you don't want to, um, harm someone because of their genetics. On the other hand, that's what our current system does all the time, right? Yeah. Type white and diabetics pay a ton of money no, of for course. their healthcare. Which, right? Well, so, well yeah, yeah, you have, you have a tougher situation. Yeah. You know, we started the American optimist to push back on the pessimism and division in our country. There's a lot of discontent right now with American healthcare. Uh, like how can we prove the system can be dramatically improved? What gives you hope that, that it's going to get better? Yeah, I actually, I am hopeful that it'll get better. I mean, I, it's funny. If you look back, you go back, you know, 30, 40 years, you'll see these articles about how American healthcare is in crisis. It's too expensive. The outcomes aren't good. Wow. It goes way back. But it's, it's like doubled, more than doubled since then. And it's more than doubled since then. But I, I... You know, the, the government actually, it, regardless red or blue, 
the administration's moving forward with pushing healthcare value. It's it's more incremental and slower than I wish it were, but it's definitely doing that, starting to get capitalism to work the way it should in healthcare. Yep. And we have a, some more transparency regulations and that kind of thing that are also helping. I do think, I mean, I wouldn't have left academia if I didn't think that this had to be solved in the private sector. We have to we have to build it for scale and prove it can work for scale in the real world. Exactly. And so we have to change the finances that drive it. And so for me, that's the greatest opportunity. But I also am optimistic about it because I'm seeing there are some really cool companies that are coming out and doing things that potentially could go to scale. And us, you know, us being one of those, of course. Well, I mean, you've proven you could cut costs 80% with better results in certain areas. There must be a lot of these. I mean, this is this again, this is the tune. This is trillions of dollars for our country. Are you seeing others starting to prove this and starting to scale? Like, like what what have you seen that makes you most optimistic? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't want to pick winners, um, but I would say the pieces are coming together really interestingly. And even pieces outside of healthcare that I think are going to have dramatic impacts on the way we do things. Um, I mean, even like what Palantir is doing in healthcare is awesome, you know, and for in a, several different uh, companies are using Palantir and it's dramatically accelerating their ability to use data to look at these sort of population level signals Understand. and make yeah. changes. And that like wouldn't have been possible. But then when you look at something like chat um, GPT mm-hmm. and you realize you know, that empowered by what's actually going on in a health record, understanding, you know, populations and how they act and to- what would be possible. Totally to- agree. I think I think because I always talked about how we have a doctor, a nurse, a frontline worker, and then like a website or AI system. But if that website or AI system is chat GPT and can figure things out, like work with people, get to certain answers and then have the people coordinate and check, you, you can be so much more efficient. Well, it's and even more. It's I, I see it could do that, you mm-hmm. know, directly working, chatting mm-hmm. with people. To, to, but but I'm thinking about how it works with every single player in the health system. Interesting. So how does a how could it create the signals that that are most important for a doctor to see about their panel of patients? Ah, so, it could, so, so it could look so it could look at all of the patients' notes and records and say, "Here's the things to make sure you should check for based on everything I'm seeing going on here in in real time." Yep, in real time. So you could say you could pull in signals related to this person went to the emergency room, get that signal to the right person on your team, get you know the right information back. To, I mean, it it really does enable. And here's the way, and here's the way to have a conversation with them that's most likely to be successful to get them to take certain actions, maybe too. Right, right. Yeah. So there's the chats piece yeah. of it and all that, but it's but more just, just what like to this do. Power, just what to do. Yeah, this Got power it. of AI to to um, to change the way we think about how what the job is of the health system, which should be about delivering health. Well, that's a good note to end it on. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, Clay. You bet. My pleasure. 